Why are we here? I don't know. Your idea. We should talk about everything that people are afraid to talk about. What? That people don't like talking about because it's like a scary subject. Why not? What? Like crypto? Like failures? Money laundering? Okay. Yeah. Why not? Terrorism financing. So this is like all about fintech in, in these industries and what happens with them? Fintech Unplugged. This is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Bajani and me, Robert Cornich. It just so happens that we have a supply of difficult questions right here in the bin of confusion. I have a question for you, Robert. Okay. You're an issuer. Why is it that issuers are so scared of supporting crypto? What's the reason? I think you're right. I think there is some issues in the marketplace. I think crypto is still seen by many as the the bed of money laundering, terrorist financing, like you were saying earlier. And I think people are still see the mystery. It's not common usage. I mean, it's certainly a lot more common usage than it was in 2009 when it was set up, but it's still new to people. People aren't using it for everyday payments yet. So I think I think that's part of it. And I think the fact that it seemed to be this secretive thing that's got no name on it, anonymity, you've got this string of digits and letters that is your wallet. And all that the blockchain does at the end of transactions is reassesses all the ledgers. So each wallet is reset at the end of every 10 minutes when a block's created on the blockchain. And that's it. People just know if someone's got more or less Bitcoin at the end of that time based on the transactions. But you've got merchants like Microsoft that up until recently was accepting cryptocurrencies for transactions. You've got almost everybody talking about crypto. Why is it that issuers aren't embracing of crypto? I think it's a, a lot of factors. And I think one of the key areas is the ability to to understand the, the, the sort of source of funds. It's always an issue with, with uh, things like uh, money laundering. And the technology has come through a long way since this all started. There's a lot of ways in which you can go back and find out whether a, a coin has been tumbled so you don't know where it's come from. I got split out and re, re, reconfigured. There are ways that you can trace it back to, to when the original uh, chip was, uh, the Bitcoin was mined. So there's a lot of ways in which you can now get some better form of heritage behind where that Bitcoin came from. And a lot of the crypto exchanges are embracing that. On top of that, uh, regulation, I know it's a dirty word, but regulation is coming through in the the fifth money laundering directive that's going to hit the whole of Europe, which will require all all people moving money in or out of crypto to be fully KYC'd like they would if they were moving money in or out of bank. So I think going forward, I think there's a lot of reason why you can see real change in the marketplace. At the moment, it's still a bit Wild West. But I think if it's managed properly, if you have the proper controls in place, you do the proper KYC. There's no reason why any issuer couldn't deal with crypto. But you need to make sure it's done in a proper way. What about the schemes? I mean, you know, we've got the big schemes out there that aren't that happy working with crypto. Why do you think that is? I think direct relationships with with crypto hitting a, a scheme could taint a whole fund. So it's like this thing, if, you, if you've got a whole sea there and you put one bad fish in it and it, and, it, and it rots, the whole sea rots. So you can see why the big schemes out there wouldn't like to have crypto in them. Now, if the crypto is dealt with separate to that and the fiat is coming into streams, then that's a different thing. And I think, I think the schemes are, are more comfortable uh, where the, the crypto is taken outside the whole range of, of where the schemes are. 
And I think provided it's done, as I say, properly, compliantly, with full KYC, source of funds, and the crypto is dealt with in a separate wallet, perhaps, than the, than the, than the wallet in which is, is done to load the card, I think that there is, there is a, a future there. So it's a matter of how we do it and to make sure we're compliant and we work in a regulatory way. Isn't it more a case that the regulators have been too slow to manage crypto? I mean, the, the, the innovations happening in payments is so quick, the regulators have been slow to catch up. I think all regulation takes a while to catch up. You, you can't move regulation at the rate you can move technology. And, and crypto and the whole advent of this whole thing with ICOs, the initial coin offerings, has been flying through. And the regulators are, they're playing catch-up. And, and sometimes the only way to play catch-up is to ban something. We've seen that in a, in a number of countries, banning ICOs. And it's because they, they're, they're not in a position to deal with it today, and, it, and it's still running. Now, now some regulators, like in Malta, in, in uh, Zug in Switzerland, in Gibraltar, are starting to rapidly ramp up on their knowledge and get the right people in to create good new laws in these areas. I think everything has to start somewhere. And with the right regulation and good regulation, crypto will have a place, I think, with all other currencies over time. So you think it is the future? I think the dealing with uh, tokens, asset-type tokens, asset-based tokens on a blockchain or a distributed ledger are definitely where things are moving. How they will move, how quickly they will move is another question, and how quickly the regulation will be able to move with them is also a question. But I think it is definitely the future. You're going to love this one. So, Suresh, what is stopping people from crypto processing? It's an interesting question. There is so much hype around crypto. There's so much happening in the space that every Tom, Dick and Harry is talking about crypto and they're some sort of crypto investor. It is not the future. They are investing in crypto because they want to make money. So what they're doing is they're investing in crypto as a commodity, and, and you have to also remember that some of these cryptos have no underlining value. You know, when you look at the fiat currencies, you know, there is gold reserve held, underlining value. And it's not. That's complete rubbish. That's true. There used to be a gold reserve. Fiat means so be it. It's, it's, it, it means you have to rely on the government. So is, is you trusting in Mr. Trump? I would yeah. rather trust someone that I can see yeah, no, I get it. than deal in tulips. Why, why are people uh, Because people think that the, the crypto is the end-all and be-all for every type of transaction. And what I mean by that is there is value in blockchain technology in certain situations where, you know, money remittance, overseas payments, foreign aid, it's the perfect solution. Okay. Crypto is the perfect solution for these things, right? Blockchain technology can provide value. But for me value. buying my packet of crisps in Marks and Spencer's? It's not feasible. It's not viable. The actual... The energy consumption to process that transaction when you're buying your, you know, your, 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 your monster munch that I know <laughs> you, that you're a big fan of. It's one, it's not viable. And to liquidate cryptocurrency very yeah. quickly is really, really hard. So, so you're saying that it's, it's, it's not fit for purpose today? It's not fit for purpose today. There are certain solutions that fit certain markets and blockchain and certain cryptos are ideal for cert- solving certain problems in the world. Mm-hmm. In the same way that you use your credit card to buy something on the high street, you don't use your credit card to do remittance overseas. So people are looking at these cryptocurrencies as the end or be all for all payment options, when that's not the case. There are things that it will solve and it will solve real world problems. And there's things that it won't solve because it doesn't do everything. One solution doesn't do everything. So I've got the bin of confusion.
So, Robert, what is bin sponsorship? It's not this bin either. Oh, sorry. Sorry, you're talking about something different. Bin sponsorship is about creating a solution for people in the marketplace, preferably people that are experienced in program management, to give them a solution where they don't want to take all the regulatory burden on themselves, whether that's the full regulatory burden of having an e-money license or a banking license to provide the service, or whether it's that they've got those licenses, but they, they, they've not gone the further step. They, they don't want the hassle of being a member of a, a scheme like Visa or MasterCard. So... Bin sponsorship basically takes the headache out of a lot of those problems. Typically, I've, I mean, I've been in this market since the, the very beginning when we had Rich Wagner, as you remember, coming up with uh, Caprice Ventures, uh, as it was then known, uh, then APS and now Cash Plus. And effectively, even from those early days uh, when they were using Broadcastle Bank as their bin sponsor, they were the energy, they were the life of the industry. So going out there, getting, getting the business, being the pioneers. So the people that are actually at the coalface going and selling the cards to the corporations, selling the cards to the, to the public and getting those cards out there. There's a lot of people out there that have got that hunger and want to do that. They can, they can have their own process. They can work with people like yourselves to do their processing. They can work with people out there to produce their cards. But they don't want the legal and regulatory burden of, of, of running all the compliance on themselves. And they don't want the reporting requirements. And they don't want to have all the, the, the hassle and the, the, what comes with managing that whole relationship with the schemes. And that's where a bin sponsor comes in. And that's isn't it a crowded market? There's lots of bin sponsors out there. What do you do that's new? I think one of the reasons that I, I, I decided to take this role on, and it's, a, it's certainly a challenge, is because I felt that what was needed in the marketplace was something to give back to the, to the program managers. So I think some of the program managers out there get, get frustrated sometimes. They're not, they're not getting maybe the, the connection with the schemes that they want. Things take longer than they want to. And, and my heart goes out to all the bin sponsors because I think this is a, is a tough market. But I felt that having a, a, a sort of legal and regulatory head at a bin sponsor will give the comfort to the schemes like Visa and MasterCard and uh, Union Paven that this is being done properly. And it will give the comfort to the regulators that we're making sure the business is compliant, being able to do it in a way that facilitates but doesn't block the, the program managers from getting out there and doing what they wanted to do. And I mean, for many, many years, as you know, that my whole role was taking people through that legal and regulatory maze. And what's happened in the last few years is legal and regulation has just ballooned. People don't know where they're, they're going and they're having to get legal advice left, right and centre. So I, I felt that it was the right time to come in to look at bin sponsorship from a different angle. I hope I'll be able to offer something a little bit different to the programme manager out there, whether they have their own email licence and just need scheme membership or whether they need the whole nine yards. So I think we need something that is clear and transparent and to be able to help take them through this whole legal maze that's out there so that they feel that they're looked after. So I've got the bin of confusion. So Robert, I don't know if you read recently, Amazon is basically throwing its hat in the payments ring and it's decided that it's going to embrace payments in the way that it always has, but now it's going to talk to the likes of Capital One and JP Morgan. What are your thoughts on that? Well... I think Amazon are really interesting in that I think Amazon Pay went through four iterations, uh, including buying a couple of different companies, buying a team of executives, and have never, ever managed to make a success of it. And the question is, 
why they've made a success of online payments in relation to their goods and services uh, and their own one-click pay has always worked. But they've never been able to do a standalone Amazon Pay type solution. And the question is why? And I think it's because they're a retailer. They've done really well on setting up cloud solutions and things like that. But payments are a very, very specific area. Uh, And I think it's interesting that they're looking at working alongside a bank on this occasion before they thought they could do it themselves. Now, massively popular, brand new spanking technology company, one side, bank old legacy system, other side. Can you see that working, Suresh? You took the words out of my mouth. I mean, they want to embrace financial technology in the way that Amazon always does. Breaking down barriers, launching new products to market, groundbreaking before anyone else does it. So who do you go to? Not a leading fintech. You go to a traditional bank, as in they've gone to a traditional bank. Exactly. So you've got a speedboat towing an oil tanker. I think they've totally missed the mark. I think they're talking to the wrong people. They really need to have the ear to the ground for who are the real movers and shakers in the fintech space. My Ferrari being held back by your Astra I'm towing. My Astra's got a Cosworth engine. Wow. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) Suresh, question for you. Passive issuance. This whole question of whether you can issue within your area of issuance or whether you should be allowed to issue outside that if there's an overriding reason, like it's a corporate and you've got an office overseas. Everyone's been doing it. Is it right or is it wrong? The legend of passive issuance, the myth, the, the, the belief that there is some special document that says these are the rules of how passive issuance works. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as passive issuance. There is no such thing as a global issuing license. Who created this myth? Ignorance is bliss. So people just started doing this stuff? People started to understand their own versions of how the rules work. Got you. The original passive issuance rule was supposed to be that you issue your card in your territory where you have a license. However, there could be instances where the people that you serviced could have moved to another territory and you carry on servicing them knowing that you acquired them when they were actually based in that territory. How people have actually fudged the rules is by saying, ah, well, what we're going to do is we're going to create some special membership, some special club, some special wallet that allows you to have a relationship and with so these customers. And so has this kind of grown up like Chinese whispers almost, like someone started it and they started doing it and it started to get a little bit of a creep and it crept out of just their area of issuance just a little bit for maybe some employees that moved back or some contracting staff and then gradually people thought that was the norm and then they started moving on from there and saying well actually if we're all in the same group then it then it pretty much works is that kind of what's happened i think it's fair to say that people have constantly been pushing the boundaries and, and the other thing that people don't realise is why is there no such thing as a global issuing licence? Why because is there no such thing as a global issuing licence? <laughs> That's a good question. You say <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that, but you have to realise that each of these issuers have paid a licence to the scheme to operate in that territory. The moment you start issuing in another country... That issue, someone else has already paid for that country. Some issue will say, well, why are they issuing in my Got territory? You. Yeah, I've yeah. already paid the licenses for it. However, I also would like to say that although passive issuance doesn't really exist, it's a myth, I also want to say that there is actually a need for a global solution. Because payments have become global. 
technology is moving. It's not. It, it, it's seamless, right? You don't sit there and say, well, I'm going to do Facebook pay and I'm just going to do it in UK or just in Europe. It's a global offering. And, and Bitcoin and blockchain is global. Yeah, there is no scheme behind it. It can do what it likes. And I guess the schemes have got to compete with that going forward, maybe. I, I think that there is a massive demand for the schemes to possibly work <laughs> out some sort of model where they can offer a global solution. Got you. It doesn't exist right now, but people have been pushing the boundaries and some people have got their, their wrist slapped as a result of it. And you're an issuer. I mean, you must get demand all the time for somebody saying they want to issue into into Russia. Yeah, and and we're a lot stricter these days. We want to try. We we, we follow what the schemes tell us. Um, we have to put those limits on our program managers that come to us. Um, but you're right. There 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 is a, a need for this as the world becomes more global and people want to issue globally for payments. And they say, well, I can move my Bitcoin anywhere. Why can't I make my payments anywhere? Why can't I issue a card anywhere? So, so I have a question for you on okay. that. Okay. So if I am issuing in different territories, <clears throat> we all know about the scheme regulations and the scheme rules regarding licensing. What about e-money? I mean, there's no concept of e-money when it comes outside of Europe. But let's say we're talking about, you know, uh, Russia. Do I need to have a banking license there in order for me to issue cards there? From from a from a regulatory standpoint, it depends on a country by country basis, and, and Russia does have its own laws in relation to lesser things than a full banking license, as do many other countries. And literally, this is this is a problem. Uh, as a lawyer, I had many many times, which is how do you tell if you can issue into a country? You, you there's no other shortcut. There isn't a shortcut. You just have to go and get local legal advice to see if you can do it. Now, if you're issuing five cards into a country and you haven't got any permanent establishment there yourself and so you've got no real risk, then probably the practical solution is that you would be able to issue into that country. But the legal solution is you can't because you may need a proper license to do that. And so I think what's happened over time is people have gone out and got legal opinions to see which countries are happy for you to issue into and then taking it upon themselves to say that, well, if, if there's no legal impediment on me issuing into that country, then why can't I just use my scheme license to go into that country? Which is where they made the mistake. So why doesn't Morwand build this network of issuers in order for you to do a global solution? Because you'll be totally compliant. And from a processor perspective, we're certified globally. So it would be ideal to kind of have, you know, one issuer like you guys in Europe and another issuer in different territories operating a global program under, under an umbrella yeah and and certainly that is on on my roadmap i see there is a, a real need for it and i would be looking to work with the schemes on getting the right licenses for the right territories so that we could create that global solution but it's one step at a time where is your market how big is that market and does it if that market is big enough to to require you to go and get your own issuing license there and then get your own scheme membership there then there's a business case and it would be done on a rollout country by country basis or territory by territory basis. And have you found any one issuer over another that's got an appetite for this or is this kind of... I, th I think on the issuer front, there are the, the global banks like Citibank, like uh, Bank of America, a Standard Bank. The, these banks do have global footprints and, and they certainly look to offer those solutions. But at the end of the day, they are big banks. And if you want to do business with big banks, it costs you big bucks. You need to have big, deep pockets and you need to have a big client base to do that. We need to create a solution that will work for all programs. And that's what we'll aim to do. And are these big banks flexible and nimble and adaptable? What do you think? 
<laughs> Since when has that elephant been able to do a backflip? I'm uh, slimmer than you, than you think. <laughs> I wasn't making a comment directly at your waistline. <laughs> what do you have in the bin of confusion? Let's have a look. I can't see much. How do you have a look? I'll answer this one. I'm wearing blue underwear. That wasn't a question. That was in the bin of confusion. <laughs> we need some more questions. <laughs> Clearly, Sarah. <laughs> Maybe some of our listeners could send some in. The more thought-provoking, the better. Equally, Bring it on. Equally. People aren't going to want to hear just you and me all the time. So how about we ask the listeners who they'd like to hear? Maybe they'd like to hear from someone from one of the, the new fintech startups. Maybe they'd like to hear from some of the fintech sort of uh, speakers like uh, Chris Skinner or maybe Dave Birch. And let's, let's, let's ask them some difficult questions. Or the guy on the street. We should ask the guy on the street, what does he know about fintech? What does it really matter to him? But you're you're right. right. You're right. You're right. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go.